0: Coming up. Today on the Speakeasy podcast, Andy Mientis, an actor starring on Broadway right now in Spring Awakening. Andy has also played the Pied Piper, a gay supervillain, on The Flash.
1: I believe that he is the first out super person on camera. That isn't just something that's included for diversity's sake. So it really is a complex storyline for a comic book show. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Updates on arts and entertainment. Interviews with celebrities and marquee guests.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Wall Street Journal Speakeasy podcast. Today on the program we have Andy Mientis, an actor and star of the current Broadway production of Spring Awakening. Thanks for joining us on the show, Andy.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So you play Hanshin in Spring Awakening, which is actually the second time you're playing this role in the show. You were in the first national tour, and now it's the Broadway production with the Deaf West theater. Can you just talk about how this current production came to Broadway?
1: Um, Yeah, so um, Michael Arden, the director, full disclosure, is my fiancé, and we were living together in Los Angeles, um, and Michael, uh, who had been an actor for many years, uh, was wanting to flexed his muscles in directing. It's something he'd been passionate about and had some ideas about and had dipped his toes in a bit um, directing this production of La Ronde, um, a play in Los Angeles, but wanted to find the next thing. And uh, as an actor, he'd done a lot of work with a company called Deaf West, um, which is a Los Angeles-based company which specializes in creating theater that is equally accessible for deaf and hearing audiences, um, designed to be thoroughly enjoyed by both parties. So um, he had done Big River with them on Broadway, a musical, um, and he had done a production of Pippin, another musical in Los Angeles. Uh, and they had approached him about maybe directing something. So he was thinking about what to do. Um, and it was actually, I, I'm proud to say my idea, um, to do Spring Awakening. And I think the genesis of that was that when I was doing um, Spring Awakening in Los Angeles at the Amundsen, Michael was doing that production of Pippin with Def West at the Mark Taper Forum, which are in the same complex an hour cast went and watched their rehearsal, and that was um, where I think it, it, it sort of was born uh, in, in my little brain. So I said, how about Spring Awakening? And he thought that was a great idea. Um, he, along with Deaf West, uh, created a small-scale production in a 99-seat black box theater on Skid Row in L.A., really bare-bones, Um, for almost no money for anybody, this little ragtag production that was uh, very well received and sold out and extended many times, uh, which then warranted a transfer to a larger theater in Los Angeles, um, and uh, about a calendar year later has wound up on Broadway.
0: The production is so striking because as you watch it in the audience, there are hearing actors, and then there are also deaf actors who uh, use American Sign Language not only as a form of communication to tell this story, but also incorporate it as choreography. So I think you're in a unique position having been in the original production and this current one incorporating American Sign Language. Can you talk about both using it as uh, a form of telling the story and as a form of dance?
1: The Sign Language was really useful for me as an actor who had been in that previous production and done many performances of it um, because, you know, I was bound to be married to some of my choices from way back then, no matter how much time it had been. Um, But using the ASL, having to learn the ASL, really forced me to examine every single word that I was speaking and thus signing, um, which I think really opened up my um, interpretation and cracked it open, and I just sort of rebuild it again from each individual piece, um, which was hugely helpful. Um, And you speak about the it being choreographic in nature. And it's it's funny, you know, the, the original production had this really very gestural choreography by Bill T. Jones um, that always seemed to me a bit like sign language from what I'd seen of it. You know, it was very gestural, a lot of use of the hands and and more based on, you know, expressing a feeling than being a, a dance move, you know, something impressive with your line or something balletic. It was all really sort of um, emotionally based And sign language itself is very uh, emotional as a language. You know, uh, it involves your face. That's intrinsic to to using the language correctly. You need to be involved um, in your face and in your intent um, because, you know, the difference between just saying the noun uh, bathroom and and asking where's the bathroom is just is is your face asking a question or not when you make that sign. Um, So I find that our choreography with the signing um, looks a bit like that that first choreography in this kind of cosmic way they seem related um because uh they both have that underlying um intent behind them you know there's there's a real like feeling being expressed not just not just dance to look pretty
0: i think it's fascinating because it is like learning another language and when i've learned another language like french for example and i would walk around and see signs in french i would feel like i was seeing new colors that i just never noticed before so how does knowing and performing now with ASL change you as an actor?
1: Oh gosh, well as an actor um I think it's just really proved to me that I and, you know, my in- incredible cast can kind of do anything, you know, when I when I joined the company as an actor um which happened between the two L.A. productions, which is another story. Maybe we can get to that later. Um, But when I joined, I was terrified that I was going to have to perform whole monologues in two languages at the same time, one of which I'd never spoken before. Um, But, you know, we're all doing it. Like uh, everyone in this production is doing something that they've never done before. You know, we've got musicians who have never acted before. We've got um, deaf cast members who have never dealt with music before, some of whom have never heard a sound before. I mean, our, one of our lead boys is profoundly deaf. He's never heard a sound in his life, and he's doing a musical and dancing with the rest of the company in perfect sync somehow, um, and hearing folks who have never signed, um, and a lot of people doing a lot of those things at the same time. So um, it was completely terrifying, but. With, like, patience and uh, support uh, from the rest of the company, we've all somehow, like, risen to and, and made it happen. So that, to me, says that there are just no rules and, like, you can do any anything. Mm. Um, and then as a person, I mean, I, I just see the deaf community um, in a way that I never did. You know, uh, we all know what that looks like you know what like ASL looks like we've all seen it somewhere but you know usually the interpreters in the bubble at the bottom of the screen or off to the side in a little dim spotlight or something and um, I think sadly our hearing world isn't isn't as accessible as it could be to the deaf community so I think the deaf community tends to keep to itself a bit Um, and so now that I've started to learn that language and I've made a lot of deaf friends um, you know I I just I, I see it around the city, everywhere, um, and that's really wonderful.
0: So you just mentioned that you were in two different productions in L.A. of the show.
1: Um, well, yes. So um, there were there were two productions um, of this Deaf West Spring Awakening, um, the first at the 99 seat theater and the second at a larger theater called the Wallace Annenberg in Beverly Hills. Um, and I... Did the show on its first national tour uh, at the Amundsen when it first came through L.A. And I joined the Deaf West production between uh, productions and the way that that happened, um, because I never, ever thought that I would act in Spring Awakening ever again um, for a lot of reasons. But um they lost an actor between the two productions. And uh, because it was a transfer of a production, there was only two weeks rehearsal. It wasn't a full rehearsal period. It was really just sort of fitting what they'd already done into a new space with a few new a few new faces. Um, so the actor playing Hanschen in the first production got a film. Um, Michael called me in like a deep panic, being like, how are we going to do this? How is somebody going to learn the part and learn the signing and learn the staging all in two weeks and... and be any good you know make choices and do all the things you need to do as an actor and really just to calm him down because he was at the the intermission of a play or something i said well if you can't find anyone else and i mean anyone else i'll do it i know the part um i know a little bit of signs so like if it doesn't look totally ridiculous that i'm trying to play a teenager still and if people aren't going to laugh us laugh at us um because uh we're a couple i'll do it so i went to do it. just really to fill in, really only planning to do that that couple of weeks um, in Beverly Hills uh, because we really thought that was the end of the road. I mean, we never ever expected this would go to Broadway, let alone so quickly. Um, but here I am, somehow. Here the
0: show is on Broadway, it and is. and speaking of the hearing community and the deaf community, do you think that some people, when they're buying tickets, might see this and think, "Oh, this is really for a deaf audience," um, or? Do you think that it really is a show that's for Broadway audiences full stop, whether they're hearing or deaf?
1: Well, it certainly is. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how our, um, our marketing is speaking to uh, either community, but um, that really is Deaf West's specialty is to create not deaf theater, but theater that is uh, enjoyable by deaf and hearing audiences. So everything in the show is either sung, spoken, signed, or projected um, in a way that no matter what ability you come with, you can understand every, every line of dialogue uh, and, and every lyric of every song. So for example, um, anytime there are two deaf characters on stage together and no one else is around, it wouldn't make sense that they would speak or have you know, a voice. Um, so they just sign, the scene is completely silent, and we project it for hearing people that don't know sign language. Uh, If there's two hearing characters on stage and there's no deaf character around, it doesn't make sense that they would be signing to each other when they're both hearing. So they just speak, and then we project for uh, the deaf audience. Um, And then whenever everyone's on stage, we all uh, sign and speak. And for the deaf actors who do not speak, uh, there is another actor who plays their voice. So they're doing sort of a live voiceover of their performance so that the hearing audience can understand um, what's going on without the signing. But what's really cool about that is those voices then become sort of new characters in the play that have never existed before. Without giving too much away, they become that character's inner life, um, an ideal version of themselves, an older version of themselves, maybe like a guardian angel. There's a few different ways to interpret what those voices are, but they interact with the play in a way that is really interesting, I think. Um, But (laughs) uh, the answer to that question is yes, anybody can enjoy it. And so we hope in addition to creating a production that is accessible, we've also created a production that is just a really great production of a great musical.
0: Well, we're going to take a break now. And when we get back, let's talk about playing the Pied Piper on The Flash. They're here. All new podcasts from the Wall Street Journal, including Your Money Matters, Watching Your Wealth. Hi, this is Veronica Dagger. Join me every week for Wealth Wednesday, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Tune in weekly for a fresh take on the secrets to financial success straight from the top money experts from the Wall Street Journal and beyond. Plus, all the latest advice, tips, and checklists, and more for expanding your wealth into more wealth. For more info, check out wsj.com forward slash podcast and be sure to follow us on twitter at wsj Podcasts. watching your wealth from the wall street journal ambition comes with earbuds now updates on arts and entertainment interviews with celebrities and marquee guests this is wsj speakeasy thanks for joining us today on the speakeasy podcast we've been talking with andy Mientis, an actor starring on broadway right now in spring awakening andy has also played The Pied Piper, a gay supervillain on the CW's show, The Flash. Can you talk to us about this character?
1: Yeah, um, so the Pied Piper, um, AKA Hartley Rathaway, is one of the only out characters in the DC universe. And I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe that he is the first um, out male super person on camera, either um, TV or or movies, which I think is really cool. I'm very proud of that. and uh, he's a villain, but, but what's cool about him is uh, he's sort of a villain with a, with a cause. The more you learn about him in the couple episodes that he's in, you see that while his, um, his actions are very villainous, his motives maybe are not. Um, so he's a really complex character. And uh, one thing that I really, really love about him, uh, which I think speaks to the way television is 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 going right now and and lgbt stories are being told is that he is out gay but that detail really isn't um just something that's included for diversity's sake or as a gimmick or or something it really is an important part of his storyline without it becoming some like maudlin story that we've seen a million times um he uh is is disowned by his family because he comes out to them he seeks a new family in the team that works at the lab that the Flash works for, um, and then is is disowned from that family as well. So he ends up in this really cool um, competition, like like brothers or something, with the Flash. They're both competing for the approval and affection of of the head of the lab, this guy Harrison Wells. So it really is a, a really complex storyline for. Um, you know, a a comic book show. I I hate to use that as a pejorative because I don't think it is at all. But um, if people think of that um, as as something, you know, uh, unexciting, I I think it's a really amazing plot point and a really cool character.
0: It is interesting because uh, the show is by Greg Berlanti, who also created the show Arrow, on which the Black Canary is a bisexual character. And in The Flash, there is a male police captain who was engaged to a man. But as you said, that wasn't necessarily a huge deal or a huge part of his character. It was actually shown very matter of fact. It it seems actually, it's very progressive for superhero TV shows to just include characters who are bisexual or gay, different sexualities, and yet not make the show or the story, the you know, focused around that, that that's just one part of their character, like many other parts of their Personality
1: sure yeah it's it's more realistic, I would say i think I think any um negative reaction that came when it was announced that these characters were going to be included um, and and this sexuality for all of them is canon it's from the comics, I mean which I think is really cool, um so it is just part of the character, but I think any negative reaction that came came from fans being afraid that the show was going to enter some sort of like maudlin soap opera storylines um and not be this you know action packed comic book show that they've come to love but um i think that the team putting the flash together is smart enough to realize that uh the best way to accurately show lgbt stories is to show them the way that they present themselves in life which is not like hi i'm andy i'm i'm queer you know that's not <laughs> how i lead um people like learn that about me as they get to know me um i think for most people it is part of them but not the defining part of them um, So I I think it was handled really well.
0: Mm. And in those shows we just mentioned and shows coming up like Supergirl or Jessica Jones, in many ways it seems these superhero shows, the television shows, are more progressive than the superhero films.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know if it's because it's more long-form storytelling and they feel that they have time to go into these, like, grace note moments where you get to learn about a character's sexuality Maybe it's that the fear of having that huge box office opening isn't quite there because, you know, a TV show can build an audience. And if people don't respond to one episode, maybe they'll respond to the next one. I don't really know why that is, but um, I'm glad to have found myself in the the television um, part of that universe.
0: It's so interesting to to step back and look at the comics worlds. In X-Men, there are gay characters such as Iceman and North Star and DC's Batwoman. And now we're seeing increasingly comic book writers and artists are experimenting. Thor is now female, and Captain America is now black, and there may be a female Wolverine. Do you think that comics, much like the way sci-fi and fantasy have been, um, that comics are a good venue for progressive and artistic expression?
1: Absolutely. I think that comic book fans... um, You know, without making broad generalizations, because obviously that gets you in trouble, but um, I think most would agree that comic book fans, you know, geeks, nerds out there, were um, outsiders growing up, a lot of them. You know, I I know me as someone who identifies as a geek, um, (laughs) was definitely an indoor kid, an outsider, not very cool growing up, not a lot of friends, which is why I sought out these fantastical stories. It was an escape for me to, you know, I I could turn on a video game and be as athletic as anybody else. Um, And so I think... You know, um, people who have felt like an outsider for whatever reason and have found themselves in that community can identify with other people that have found themselves an outsider for for whatever reason they think they are an outsider and um, maybe comics are the are the unifying part, but I do think there is some factor there that appeals to the queer community that appeals to um, people who have not felt represented um, you know their their background their ethnicity whatever. Um, and so it's very cool what's going on. I just went um, to Comic Con uh, last week to speak on their LGBT panel, and the panel really became more about um, inclusiveness and um, diversity rather than just strictly LGBT issues. So it's something people really care about, and it's something that's really happening in comics. And I hope it I hope it branches out to other media because it's really exciting.
0: And before The Flash, of course, you starred in Smash. You That's like right. TV shows that whose names rhyme. Yes,
1: I'll do MASH next.
0: <laughs> and before Spring Awakening, you starred as Marius in Les Miserables right. on Broadway. So how is that interplay of doing television as well as Broadway? I mean, that seems to work for you very well as an actor.
1: I enjoy it a lot. I mean, they're so, so different Um, so it really allows me to stretch different muscles and as soon as I get burnt out on the one I've been lucky enough to be able to bounce to the other and that's kept me really really happy for the last couple of years Um, because when you're doing a play it's this finite experience you know the play doesn't change it's the same thing so you get better and better at it you know you learn more you learn a little bit more about your character and what the play means every single night and so you get to perfect it if things don't go well one night you show up the next night and try to fix it. Um, Whereas with television, it's changing constantly. I I joke that it's like being in technical rehearsals for a play that you've never read every single day because every day you're getting thrown new lines. You know, even if you feel good about the lines... um, you know, like in the case of The Flash, suddenly you're standing on top of a car. You know, you, like, read in the script that you're going to be standing on top of a car, but then when you're standing on top of the car and they're like, give a performance, you're like, I'm terrified. <laughs> um, so it's constantly changing. It's it's new um, challenges all the time. You know, I, I feel like I learned about 10 different new skills just for the two episodes of The Flash that I did. Um, but that's thrilling because it it can never get stale. You know, you learn more about the character um in a different way you learn more about them because you literally get more and more of the story um i know like on smash we didn't know like where these plot lines were going so the scripts would come in and we'd say oh my god like (laughs) i didn't know that about this person i wish i would have known that three episodes ago but you know here we go um so it keeps it super fresh but you never know what's going on so both really have their own um luxuries and their own challenges and i've been really lucky to to move around
0: Well, thanks so much for joining us. We've been talking with Andy Mientis. The show is Spring Awakening, playing on Broadway now.
1: Come see us. WSJ
0: Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.